Good morning, Crosswalk. Listen, in the midst of everything that's happening in the United States, one thing that you can do is wear a mask to make sure you're safe and the people around you are safe. So that's my Christmas wish for you. And I know we're getting started on Christmas a little early, but hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving with whether it was all your family and friends, an abbreviated group, or even if you were just hanging out by yourself watching all the Netflix shows that are leading up to Christmas, that's okay. We are in a series called Christmas List. And this is a series about God's Christmas list for us. And today we're going to be dealing with two different stories. But again, I hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and that um, you're settling into what is now officially the Christmas season. We've got two stories today, and these two stories both center around food, they both center around giving, and they both center around the idea of a table. In the first, Jesus is making a meal, and in the second, Jesus is the meal. So let's jump right in. Reading from John chapter 2, 21, verse 1, of course, reading from the New Living Translation, it begins like this. It says, later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. So some of the texts actually say this, not just Jesus appeared, but Jesus manifested himself. He disclosed himself or he revealed himself. Now, if you remember last week, one of the things that God wants for us is a revealing of who he is. And this is one of those revealings, right? Jesus appeared to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. He disclosed himself. What we know is that God wants to reveal himself to us. So maybe we ask the question today, how is Jesus revealing himself to you in this season? Whether it's this COVID season, whether it's this 2020 season, or it's just in this Christmas season, how is God revealing himself to you through Jesus? And the question is worth asking all the time in our lives, how is he revealing himself to you? So now we need some background to this story. Of course, several of the disciples were there, Simon, Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples who apparently didn't rate enough to get their names in this book. But remember, John was writing this a long time after it happened, so maybe he was just slowing down a little bit and couldn't remember the other two faces that were there. Anyway, in chapter, in verse 3, it says, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Now, this is important. Friends like to do things together. In this season, we like to do things together. And as we know, COVID's making that a little bit harder. But when Peter says that he wants to go fishing, some say, some commentators actually say, that this was an indication that, that Peter wanted to stop the gospel work that he was doing and go back to his old profession. Now, there's not a lot of evidence for this. It may be a little bit of a stretch, but man, what if? What if he was saying, I, I don't want to do this anymore? But there's another question that we have to ask ourselves, which is this, especially having to do with the community, which is who would you go fishing with? Who is your community that understands you? Because even if Peter wasn't trying to go back to his old job, even if he was just needing a break, there were certain people who wanted to be around him. Who wants to be around you? And who do you want to go fishing with? Anyway, as you know, they weren't catching very much. At dawn, we see Jesus standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. Now, we don't know if, um, 
if it was because there was a marine layer, if there was haze, if there was some fog on the lake. All we know is that they couldn't decipher who he was. But it does say at dawn, and in fact it says in some translation the dawn was already breaking. So it's this idea that they had not been successful. Then Jesus calls out on the sea. He calls out, and in the New Living Translation it says fellows. But fellows isn't a word that we would normally use. Some translations say lads. I think if it were a modern translation, at least in California, it would say dudes, or it would say guys. What it really means is friends. That's what it really means. He says, have you caught any fish? And of course they replied, no. Then Jesus says to them, well, throw your net on the right-handed side of the boat and you'll get some. Now, we have to understand that this is a miracle because we know this, fish don't hang out on just one side of the boat. Of course they don't. They throw their nets on the right-hand side of the boat and they fill their nets up. You know what we call this? We call this provision. And this is what God wants on his Christmas list for you today. God wants to provide for you. But you see, we have to listen to him. See, the fish, for whatever reason, were pushed over on the right side of the boat. So what needed to happen is the disciples needed to listen to Jesus so that he could provide for them. Without being able to do that, he couldn't have helped them. So while God wants to provide for us, obedience is important for that provision. We have to be listening to what God wants for us. Verse 7 says this, then, then the disciple Jesus loved, which of course was John. That's how he wrote about himself. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped it for work. So he put on a shirt, essentially, jumped into the water and headed for shore. Jesus recognized that the provision wasn't just what Jesus provided, but the provision was Jesus. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. So they were getting close. Peter couldn't wait, and Peter was impulsive. We know he was. He always did, tended to do something like that. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Now, Jesus not only provided the meat, but he provided the appetizer as well. He provided the fire. He provided the breakfast. They didn't realize who he was until he had provided for them and until they had obeyed his order. Sometimes we have to listen for God to provide for us. Had they not cast their nets on the other side, they would have missed Jesus. Obedience begets provision. And you know that this is true, right? Because when your kids are young and they go on an Easter egg hunt, I know we're in Christmas, so there's no Easter eggs, but when your kids are little, when they're two, three years old, the only way you're going to provide them with the Easter eggs is if you guide them, but they got to listen to you. I have three children. Some listen to me really well. Not all of them listen to me in the same way. But during those Easter eggs hunts, you know, you kind of hedge your bets with your kids. Have you looked under the bush over there? No, not that bush, the other bush. Have you seen? Did you see in that pot? Did you look in that pot? Maybe there's something in the pot. See, what they have to do is they have to listen to you so that they can be provided for. In the same way, we have to listen to Jesus so that he can provide for us. Then Jesus says, bring some fish that you just caught. So Simon went aboard, dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now, I'm not much of a fisherman. I have caught 
a grand total of one fish in my life. It's about this big. It was about this big. I didn't keep it. I threw it back because truly, what are you going to do with a fish that big unless you're going to, you know, put it in a tank and I don't have one at home. But they caught 153 large fish. And there was also a miracle in the fact that the net hadn't torn. Now Jesus says this, now come and have some breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Now what's interesting in this story, if you've ever read John 21, it's a great story because what happens next is John, uh, Peter and Jesus have this conversation about, you know, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Well, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Of course, Lord, of course. And he almost, he almost utters an oath. Like he's so passionate about how much he loves Jesus. And he says, then feed my sheep. You see, if Peter had been moving back towards his old occupation, Jesus not only provided breakfast, but provided him reconciliation and a way back. He said, feed my sheep. Stay in the gospel work. I don't know, was Peter ready to leave the gospel work? Maybe, thinking that he had betrayed Jesus, right? And therefore wasn't allowed to do the work, but God provided him a way back. So what sort of provision do you need from Jesus today? Especially to continue the gospel work that Jesus is calling you to. Now, it doesn't have to be with the church, it can be right wherever you are, the gospel work that God is calling you to, to love your neighbor as yourself, to let people know that you love God as well and why he has blessed you so richly and deeply, even in this crazy year, to give your testimony to the people around you so they might know who God is through you, a revealing, if you will. But what do you need from God to be able to continue to do that work? Now, the second story is another story of provision. But this one's not about physical sustenance in any way. This is about spiritual sustenance. And so it's Paul writing to the church in Corinth in his first letter, so 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul starts kind of inauspiciously, I would say. In other words, he's not super happy with the church. He says this, but in following the instructions, I cannot praise you. For it sounds as if more harm than good is being done when you meet together. Paul's not so happy with the church in Corinth. Have you ever felt that, that when the church gets together, man, it's, it's strife, it's struggle? Maybe some of you have been involved in a church like that, where when you get together, it's not really a blessing. It's more of a painful experience. There's, there's argumentation, there's frustration. I've worked in churches like that before. And when that happens, man, it becomes a difficult place for God to be lifted up. But we usually always come together around certain rites and certain rituals. We don't have a lot in the Seventh-day Adventist church, but we do have a few, and we do have one in particular, which Paul is going to speak to. He says this, First I hear there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. He's like, listen, this is what I'm hearing, but I get it. Like, people have a hard time getting along. And then he says something that's really interesting, right? He says, when... But of course, there must be division among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. In other words, usually in a, in a side, there's a right and a wrong, and, and, and you will know that eventually. He actually recognizes that sometimes God can use division to allow for reconciliation and understanding of what his desires are for the church. 
But then he goes on to talk about a particular rite and a particular ritual that we even do still today. It says, when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. Now, this is the truth. You know how I know that? Because in most churches, when you do communion, it's the least attended week of the quarter or biannually or of the year, depending on how often your church does it. But he says, when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. They're meeting together, but they're not recognizing the importance of God's provision through communion with one another. And he says, even like explains what's happening. He says, for some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. Now, obviously, he's not talking about a Seventh-day Adventist church because it would be hard to get drunk on that Welch's grape juice that we drink. But he's saying, like, we're not taking care of each other. See, our ability to give is God's provision through us. I got to tell you, um, through COVID, we've given away over, I believe, 30,000 pounds of food to our underserved and homeless in our area. Now, I'm not saying that to brag by any means, but we believe in making sure that people are taken care of. Sometimes our ability to give to one another is God's provision through us. We have to be able to recognize when we are actually God's provision. And not to, not to change directions here, but do you know that when you give to the work of Crosswalk, to the work of God through Crosswalk, I should say, that you are God's provision for this work to continue to be done? Now, you know that we're going into December, and this has been a weird year. We know that, and we know that some of you are, are struggling financially, and you've lost your jobs, um, and, and we pray for you, and we want to be God's provision for you. But some of you are doing as well as you ever have done, and we're asking you to continue to be God's provision for His church so that we can finish this year strongly so that we're not in the red. And as you know, we've had to invest in a ton of different equipment over this year so that we can stop meeting together and then that we can meet together outside. There's a lot of different things that we've had to spend money on. And, and I'm not making this a hard plea. I just want you to know, if we can really lean into giving in December, we can launch into 2021 and make it one of our best years ever. We can do that if you decide that you will be God's provision for the church. Paul continues. I won't, I won't hammer on that too much. Paul continues and he says, what? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace, disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. Paul's just telling the truth to these folks. And I, I got to tell you, I never want to be rebuked in this way. This is why we continue our ministries of compassion and mercy, even through COVID. Because we want to be a church that provides for people, that is God's provision for people. And then Paul goes into the explanation, and we've used this before as we go through the Lord's Supper, as we go through communion together. And he says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he moves right in from this rebuke to this, to this beautiful narrative of the Last Supper, of friends gathered around a table, thanking the Lord for His provision, as well as preparing themselves for a very difficult time ahead. 
It says, Then the Lord took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. This is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. He is reminding them of the provision that God provided them through his sacrifice, the provision that is everlasting until we see him again. He is reminding them that their obedience and their willingness to serve one another and be provision for one another gives them the ability to engage in the Last Supper, in the communion service together in the way that he wants them and he wants us to engage in it. Now, we haven't done it in a while. And so this is going to be my admonition for you. If you've watched this today, my admonition for you is that you take communion with your family. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. You don't need a clergy person to lead this. You don't need a deacon. You don't need an elder. What you need is the heart of God. And so take some bread, even if it's not the right kind, right? It's a symbol. Take the juice that represents his blood and go through this service together with your family with your friends, those in your pod. Wow, it's weird that we have that word that we use now in COVID times. Together with your pod and share a communion service with them. We obviously can't do it here at the church. And since we're not meeting today because it is this holiday weekend, we want you to do it because you're centered around a table. That's what this whole Thanksgiving thing is about, right? Recognizing what God is providing for you today. And that's what you have to ask. What is God providing you today? Sometimes you only know it when you obey Him. But do you recognize His provision? Do you recognize what He is calling to? Like that story of Peter, that God, God reconciles Peter to the gospel work that he had felt he had betrayed earlier when he betrayed Jesus. He's not only revealing Himself to you, but He's reconciling you to Him. If you remember last week, we talked about the three things that God wants on his Christmas list to get it going. He wants reconciliation. He wants revelation. And he wants the recognition of who he is in your life. And that leads, as we obey him, to the provision that he wants to give to us. And you know, this has been kind of a lean year for lots of us. A lean year in our relationships. We haven't been able to be as close to the people that we normally are. For some of us, it's been a lean year when it comes to work as jobs have dried up and the market has changed. For others of us, it has been a lean year because we have had to deal with sickness in our family from this pandemic or for other reasons. The truth is this. While your job provides and your family provides, the one who provides 
most everything that you need, be it physical, be it fish for breakfast, be it the Last Supper, the communion that you take with one another, the bread and the wine, if you will. God wants you to be reconciled to each other. He wants you, He wants to be revealed through you. He wants you to recognize who He is, to obey, and He wants to provide for you. Provision is deeply important for God, and it says it, my grace is sufficient. Ask and the door shall be opened unto you. God is a God of provision. He's a God who wants to provide. His Christmas list is that you have all you need, be it physically, be it spiritually. He has provided for all of that, but sometimes we have to ask God, what is it that you would have me do? Now, this is not a one-to-one. He's not waiting for you to serve him so that he can provide for you. Sometimes God's provision comes even when we're not expecting it, but we recognize him when we obey him. Just like Peter, that story, they weren't sure who it was, but they obeyed him anyway. And then all of a sudden it was clear, this is Jesus. And Peter got so excited, he jumped out of the boat because that's what Peter does. How do you want God to provide for you? And how do you think he is already providing for you? It's Thanksgiving weekend. So maybe we should start with thanking him for the provision that he's already given us. Whether it's a roof over our heads, the food on our table, the family around us, the bed we get to sleep on every night. And maybe it's not the best in the world or maybe it's not the thing that you want, but God has provided for you. And maybe as you move ahead with a communion service with your family or with your friends or whoever you're with, and you remember the way that God has provided not only those physical things, but spiritually as well. And what do I mean by that? It's simple. God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 and John 3.17 extends that conversation by saying, for he did not come to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through his son. Spiritually, we've been provided for overwhelmingly, even if it doesn't feel like we have enough to eat today. So on God's Christmas list, provision is big. He wants to provide for you. So let him, and the way that you let him is by obeying what he's asked you to do, by moving forward in the gospel work that he's asking you to do, by growing in him and learning more about him and then revealing him to other people. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving meal. I hope you have a wonderful time with family. And as we look forward to Christmas, when we celebrate the birth of our Lord and the incarnation where Jesus, God became flesh, became human, I want you to remember how much he has provided. Let's bow our heads. God of grace, your provision is enough for us. Let us live in that. Let us not desire more than we ought while still striving for everything that you have. And Lord, may we listen to you. May we obey you so that we can see you in your provision. Lord, and as our communities all over the United States and all over the world, in homes, outdoors, as they do communion with one another,
today, Lord. Even if it's with cracker, crackers and soda, I don't care. But Lord, listen to their words of praise. Listen to their words of thanks. Listen to their asks as you always do. And Lord, from my, the bottom of my heart and my family's heart, we want to thank you for the way that you have continued to provide for us, not just in this season, but always. We pray these things in your holy name. In the name of Jesus, amen.